Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to three. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. The 2023 Australian Open draw is out and we are very much ready to break it down. If you are just discovering us new to the show in 2023, this is where to be. If you'd like a draw show that really only focuses on Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, that is what we are going to do. However, uh, we did not do a show after uh, Djokovic's latest title to start the season in Adelaide 1, which was an ATP 500. And uh, he had a good little run where he beat Shapovalov in the quarters, Medvedev in the semis, and Korda in the final. Joel, let's uh, let's offer some quick thoughts on this final uh, where Korda had a match point, uh, a chance to finish the match in straight sets. I guess uh, from an evaluative perspective, uh, do you feel like like Novak showed some um, some some holes there or some concerns in his form, or was that just an awesome match by Korda, uh, who kind of deserves all the credit for rising to Djokovic's level? Korda was playing terrific. He was hitting the ball all sorts of places. He was he wasn't just uh, absorbing and redirecting. He was absorbing and directing. I mean, some of his down the line forehands and backhands were magnificent. And uh, yeah, he got a got a championship point, and Novak came to net on that point and that's good we came and then Korda lobbed and we know Novak overhead as great as he is that's sometimes a shot that's uh you wonder about but he had a fantastic inside out overhead winner and won the point went on to turn around the match but six still six four in the third I thought I thought that's precisely tennis player logic Novak good look at me I'm battle tested see this is good and he won his 92nd career title so um all good on the Novak front on the on the tennis performance aspect. Totally agree. Very impressed with Korda. You know, good close match that that could have gone either way. But uh, Djokovic was uh, was also, I thought, mostly himself. And overall, look, he's won five out of the last six events he's played. He's clearly been the best player in the world. So it was looking like perhaps we'd go into the Australian Open, an event he'd won nine times without any anti uh, without any drama i would say there is one little wrinkle and that is the hamstring that he you know stretched out and got taped up in the medvedev match um in in the quarter match it it looked all right uh there weren't any really real incidents and i couldn't see if he had strapping uh but then yesterday he cut off his practice with daniel medvedev coincidentally enough uh just uh, about about 40 minutes in after they played one set and said, I just wanted to be precautionary uh, because it is the week before the Australian Open. Amy, what do you make of this whole hamstring thing right now? I saw the injury and in the Medvedev match, and it was, I was funny. I was taking notes on the match, and I saw him, and even in the previous match, I saw him do his Gumby stretching, and I was making note of that, like he, he is in really good shape, he's in fine form, he's stretching as he always does, doing these incredible gets, 
And it was a stretch. It wasn't like one of those full out Gumby stretches, but it was a stretch that he just turned his hip funny and um, did suffer the hamstring pull and uh, saw the trainer and then he was fine. And then he was okay in the final. I mean, one could argue that it might've been an easier match for him if he had been a hundred percent. But I'm sure that he can manage it. I mean, just kind of bad luck, I guess. He parted ways with his longtime physio, Uli, and um, he's got a new physio in there. So that's just sort of bad timing. Um, but hopefully he'll be fine. And, and he's pretty good about managing these sorts of niggling injuries. Great call on on Uli. I I for, I had forgotten about that by the time the season began, and and now he is dealing with a a, a real health concern. Although, uh, you know, we've looked, no, it'll be nothing compared to the twenty twenty one injury. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, so yeah, I would I would back uh, Djokovic to to manage that um, in a positive way. He also did an interview, though, by the way, on the physical side of things. Before we get into the specifics of his draw, uh, he's up 10, 15 pounds. So I think he's looked to build some muscle in the offseason, which is, by the way, what most players do. Um, and sometimes when you try to build strength, you you do risk some injury. You do take on that risk. It's worth it, uh, but it is a thing. 10, 15 he plays, pounds. He plays really well lean. So you're right. Like, I don't know. Novak is, isn't he like the, the consummate tweaker to everything, all aspects of his life, his diet, you know, the car he's driving, his sponsorship deals, his spiritual, he's all the, the technological, he's always just, you know, tweaking things and trying new things. I mean, as well as he was playing last year, and he did look somewhat thin last year, but he was he was just lights out when he was able to play. So why did why would you, you know, mess around with that? And and he's a guy who I feel plays brilliantly when he is lean. So um I hope that uh I hope that he'll be okay. And he manages the stuff so well, I think he probably will be. Oh, he's just raised it to a whole quantitative level of performance evaluation. I mean, you see players before him who've done things and he's making them look like they're like a ancient, you know, kind of like a, like a mainframe computer or something. I mean, he's just so organized about all these things. It's fascinating. I mean, we don't even know about the things with, uh, with equipment and rackets and strings and temperature and grips and all sorts of lead tape, all sorts of stuff. Just incredible. Yeah. He didn't, specify in the interview or, or, or give this away, but my guess is he just wants to continue to serve bigger and hit his forehand bigger. So he thinks a, a little bit of added weight might um, do him some good. So like the lead tape of the body. It is the lead tape of the yeah, body. The <laughs> yeah. Get a little more, a little more club head speed. So add more. So yeah, forget the, forget doing it with the racket. Let's, let's do it with the body. I wonder, that's interesting. It's fast. I wonder how we um, used to learn how professional tennis players go about doing that. I mean, that's not three pounds. That's significant. Yeah. 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 He did I don't say think he, Novak he, is he, ice, he, it's eating ice cream. Yeah, but you lose it quickly. Novak it was playing in the heat of Adelaide. He said he he already dropped three kilos in Adelaide. So it's going right back down. 
Um, <laughs> how about uh, last storyline for Novak? Actually, is uh, just just the mental aspect of returning to Melbourne um, and just the baggage of what happened last year. Like, what what? How does that? Do you think that changes kind of how Novak feels heading into this two weeks, Joel? I think it's a slight aspect of that hunger and that desire and that part of any tennis player, any athlete. Well, let me show you guys something now that I'm back <clears throat> to regain it. And when he last left, remember the last time he played there, he was a champion. And then he last left there. He was uh, he left Australia, obviously not on, on terms that he would have liked. But I think then it's kind of like, OK, Novak, OK, put that aside and regain rituals of tournament I've won. Uh, nine times. And I, I'm going to add something about this slam of all of them and why it's the happy slam. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's no other slam where you can pretty much walk from where you stay to the venue. And not that Novak will, but it's a little bit like imagine if for American audiences is if the U.S. Open was somewhere at the other end of Central Park. And there's something very nice. I, I've, I've seen this with players, and I know from having been there a bunch of times, there's a really nice aspect of alignment between city, venue, restaurants, language, even these botanical gardens where Novak uh, often would meditate. I've been to that, those gardens. So it's a very nice quality. It's kind of the best of urban, but spread out. I mean, you know, Amy, we were there a few years ago and mm -hmm. it's got, so I think for Novak, it's got a nice tranquility mix. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, look, he's won all the slams, but it's, it's not as remote. You're not going to get stuck in traffic. You're you're going to have some nice meals. A lot of nice. It's very lifestyle friendly. So I think Novak can just kind of lock those in, make reservations at certain restaurants. You know, have certain foods. I don't know quite what his say. I don't know if he has a whole an Airbnb for the whole team or what his deal is. Either way, it's a very it's the it's the easiest slam to perform well in. Yeah, a lot of the players stay in that crown area right. on the uh, the Yara River there, and you can just you could conceivably just walk along the river to um, Melbourne Park. But um, I was really interested to hear his or see his quotes about the crowds. He he is always so forthright, and and he's been talking about his mental health and how. It was hard mentally to recover from what he went through last year. And, and this is, I love about Djokovic to be so forthright about this kind of thing. But I was, I was interested and surprised to read that he's paying attention to how the crowds receive him. And he was very happy to feel embraced um, in Adelaide and they were chanting his name. And he, he, like you, Joel, it was almost like a duplicate of, of the thing you said he was like, let's see how they do in Melbourne. Let's see if it'll be the same, but you know, it could be, or it might not be. So he's definitely, it's on his mind about how he's going to be received there. And, and as I've said, I do think that he will be well-received. I, I also think he'll be, he'll be well-received. I don't think Craig Tiley did him any favors by uh, saying that you can't boo him, which is something that, uh, <laughs> Channel Nine in Australia reported from a from a discussion with Tylee, and now that is a headline everywhere. I mean, uh, tell me if you've stopped me if you've heard this before, but that is the absolute worst thing that they can possibly do. the 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 worst way to get people to not boo is to tell them not to boo. That that's I mean, 
It's like here in the United States, studies have been done on how to get people to vote. And the best way to get people to vote is to tell them that they can't <laughs> or try to take it away. And that gets them to the polls. Um, yeah, that that's not good. But I think they're going to do what they want to do and what feels natural in the moment. And um, this guy's won this thing nine times, as Joel said. I mean, ultimately, respect will be shown. Yes, I agree. Um, I also think that if it's not, it, it's he will feel that, Amy, to your point. Like, I don't think I don't know. Sometimes sometimes people uh, assume that he's just indestructible that way. And I don't think it's true just because of Wimbledon 2019 when he overcame it. I, I still uh, think it affects him. Uh, OK, let's talk about the players who he has in front of him. First round, which we love on this show, by the way. Uh, let, let me explain something again for anybody who's new. Uh, while most shows are talking about the projected quarterfinals, we love the first round. Let's look <laughs> at the first match. Uh, Roberto Carbias Baena. I, I think this is a great first round for Novak. Probably can't be better. I think a lot of top players would love to play RCB because he's so consistent. Uh, allow me to to be clear. This is a compliment. I mean, he, he barely misses, but he gives you a lot of rhythm. Um, and you're just going to get a feel like you're going to be able to play some rallies and, and dig your way into form. So I think it's very ideal for Novak. Does that make sense, Amy? He's a clay court specialist, right? He's um, in a way, maybe with the hamstring though, it's not quite ideal because I can see them getting in slightly longer rallies. But um, Novak is just such a far superior player that I still see a straight sets, fairly straightforward victory. And, and his scouting is really good, so he'll be able to figure out where to place the ball. Well, ideal from a standpoint of an arduous effort, an arduous effort against an opponent that's kind of a, a reliable kind of player. You're not playing someone who's going to slash unusual shots, hit unusual serves. You're just going to kind of dig in. Bring your lunch pail. Go to work. It's gonna be. It's gonna be on the. Um, remember, it's gonna be on the big arena. It's gonna be. It'll be on RLA. So that's gonna be a factor for the underdog. It's whoa. I'm playing the nine-time champ on his arena. Um, and so, so I think. Uh, I think with the underdog, I would be like, for example, I would. I would want to say, tell you what, why do you serve volley on the first point? Joel, not gonna happen. I know that. I know that. This is, why, this is why people like that. This is why people like that don't um, score upset wins. This is why they lose matches like this four, three, and four, because they because they, they've gotten this far. They won't innovate. They're going to do their thing, and then they'll blink, and they'll blink because it's about ball tolerance. It's about ball direction, movement, balance. But this will be, yeah, this will be. There'll be there'll be a great many engaging rallies. If it's Wimbledon, we'd say there'd be the moment when the guy is going to kind of crack a couple of winners down the line come to net because the grass will help them in this case there'll be some he'll he'll grind out plenty of points and he'll probably win 40 percent of them the the yeah. hundred yeah sounds about right to me uh looking at the next couple rounds i mean dimitrov is the projected third round he's the highest seed mm -hmm. he plays karatsev uh there's mm -hmm. a couple of qualifiers in there and we don't know who they are there's laszlo gera who just uh, had a, a massive victory, biggest of his career um, against Kaspar Ruud uh, indoors in Auckland. Uh, there's Hugo Delian in the next round, who is basically Roberto Carbias Baena, only he's a forehand 
he he's one of those clay quarters who isn't so much a grinder, but is kind of like a high racket speed forehand guy. But I mean, this is a very good eighth. Before we zoom out, I, I think the eighth is tremendous. And Dimitrov, I don't I don't know what his state is right now, but in in the last six months or so, that would suggest he's not even really reliable to make that third round match. I think he has had an injury, Dimitrov. Um, I think um, either Dimitrov or Karatsev would be the perfect um, matchup for Novak because it's it's scalable. We're we're getting up in experience and quality level. So I still think it'll be fairly straightforward, but it, it would almost be either one of those players would almost be like a good sparring match. Um, but again, uh, don't see a problem. I mean, I think the fans always like to comment, like, do you think Novak has a hard draw or an easy draw or whatever? I think his eighth is easier, but his quarter is trickier so he's he's kind of got a mixed draw going here well right as they pan out um that's right because then it gets it gets pretty thick because he's in the um <clears throat> he's in that the, he's in that uh second uh yeah that other half above it uh, at the top of it is a much thicker set of things with the possibility mm-hmm. of meeting um in the his quarter could be it could be runa it could be Kyrios, it could be rublev Dan Evans, so, but uh, one of those guys, and that could be interesting. Remember, and Runa, the only guy who's beaten him in that six-tournament mm-hmm. run. So that that's that's the quarter I'd like to see. But again, you, you guys know most of how I feel about that kind of like a draw casting. You know, that's like that's like a million years away. Yeah, um, and and the fourth round, just so that we cover all of our bases, will probably be either Demonor or Pablo Carreño Busta. I'd be surprised if it were if it were anybody else out of there. And, uh, you know, similar players. Novak has had two significant losses to PCB, but Mm -hmm. both of them have been Novak-induced. Yeah, uh, strange circumstances. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And we're talking about the Olympics. Although, yeah, the the match that um, Novak was disqualified from, um, PCB was playing a, a good match. So you really don't know what would have happened. But yeah. these agreed, but these players, these players stylistically are in kind of the Novak era. It reminds me of like the Sir Volley era. And there are great certain volleyers like let's say John Newcomb or Stan Smith. And there are others who aren't quite as good at it and they did it well too. I mean, these guys, like there isn't, I don't see any among the people you forget when we have get if we get to Kyrgios or Runa, but ones like PCB or Demonar, it's like no, it's, oh yeah, I know you. Did haven't we practiced a few times? It's like, and I do that stuff better. Two-handed backhand, move the ball around, some reasonable serving. You know, there isn't anything. There's anything about those opponents that's like scary to Novak and and Dimitrov, who once upon a time held the possibility of some of something innovative and breakthrough, is kind of settled into what I think his deal is at this point. I mean, he's now 31, I believe, so 31 years old. So I think, no, okay, okay, we we've been around the campus a while, guys. Yeah, well said. And by the way, I think Novak is playing so much better in 2022 and 2023 than he was in 2020. I just didn't like the way he was playing really uh, in the second half of that year after the COVID break. So that might be another reason why PCB was. You're right. uh, And you're right to point out he was right there with him. Um, Demons Aussie, by the way. So the crowd would be against Novak if that happened. Rod Laver Arena probably at night. 
Not again. No, I don't think they'd be against Novak. I think they'd be split for good tennis. I don't think I, I, what I like about I've been in Australian crowds. Yeah, they'll be cheering their guy, but they won't be against Novak. They'll be looking. I mean, seriously, I won't see it like the way other venues or in other countries. I, I've been in that arena enough to see Australian fans got the champ nine times, got the contender who, by the way, has hasn't proven himself yet big enough yet. It's all going to be a good show for all because, in a way, if you win. If you win a title in a place, let's say, let's just say three times or more, you're adopted. You know, you have honorary citizenship to a degree. And so Novak, he's, yeah, he's not, he's not an Aussie, but they've embraced, they've embraced him. I mean, when you win this thing nine times, just as the, just as the British did with Roger and the French, well, the French and Rafa, that's a complicated one that we've discussed. But I think, um, I, I think if he plays Alex, I think that's a, that's a, that's a crowd cheering quality tennis. Okay. Speaking of the Australian crowd, and this has nothing to do with our guys, but I have to throw it in there. I like the possibility of Curios versus Runa in a night match. That could get really raucous. I wish I could just beam myself to Melbourne for that one. But Nick needs to come through, and, and so does Runa. And Nick is going to be the star of this Netflix documentary. It's a lot of distractions. He's at home. He's been injured too. So that's a big if that match happens. I'm right there with you, Amy. Let's talk about that that top eighth where the popular picks will be Kyrgios, Runa, Rublev. And that's really it. Those will be the popular picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are the seeds in there. The, the, who, the other yeah. seeds well, the, the in there. Yeah, and, and Dan Evans, by the way, uh, Andre Rublev is, is, is pissed to see him. Uh, Cause that that's a four, four head to head and Evans it's, it's like a toss up match every time. So uh, Rublev does not want to see Dan Evans, but that's besides the point. We probably won't see Dan Evans in a quarterfinal. Um, I, I think you're so right to point that out about curious, Amy. I mean, you have the Netflix thing coming out. It's going to, it seems like a huge deal for him and something that could <laughs> kind of take his mind away from tennis. You have the fact that he's, has not played a match ahead of this Australian Open because he has been injured. Has he been training? If he's too injured to play, has he? Is he too injured? He to did train? try to train again, like he did last year, but he hurt himself training. That's so what that I'm saying. I'm sa- but I'm saying, yeah. while injured, has he been not training? And people might say, "Oh, Nick never trains." That's not true. That's not true. He worked hard last year, and yeah. that is what made the difference. And then the last thing is has there ever been more pressure on him coming into a major in his entire career? This is not, this is not good in terms well, of the circumstances. Is he playing doubles? Is he entered with no. Kakanakis? No, he's, he's not. decided. He's decided to focus on singles. Okay. That's smart. Um, but it's a bummer because they were such a cool champs last year. Oh, well, yep. um, it's a lot. You're right, Gil. It's a lot on him. All right, so we'll see. I think it's also a lot on Runa, by the way, who is yeah. a 19-year-old who is coming into a major for the first time with expectations, mm-hmm. uh, which is hard. And by the way, he hasn't won a match in, in a couple months now because he doesn't have a win under his belt this season. Uh, so I think there's challenges there. Like personally, I will I will throw out my, my prediction. I, you guys are free not to. Um, I think it's going to be Andre Rublev who's not the sexiest pick compared to Kyrgios and Runa, but I think that's who it's going to be in the quarters. Oh, well, interesting. You know, it's interesting. I had to do my uh, picks for tennis.com this morning at the draw. And uh, 
one of the things is to say which seed won't validate, won't will disappoint. And I looked at him, I thought, you know, Rublev, he's never brought his best at a major. Um, he's got uh, Kyrgios and Runa. You pointed out Evans. So I don't see him getting to that quarter. However, based on things you said, the house of cards could fall for could topple. And here comes Rublev. Because one thing about Rublev, he's he hasn't brought his best at his slams, but he never brings his worst anywhere because he's pretty, there's a reliability to him. But yeah, with that the other players you've mentioned, well, what what are they going to be at? Aruna and Kyrgios going to kind of uh, destroy one another in whatever their match is if they meet. Wants Rublev. This is a guy who's 0-6 in major quarterfinals because he hasn't been able to win matches uh, like this one against Novak in a prospective quarterfinal. Uh, but people will also be mad at me probably if I don't point out that that Rublev hasn't been good to start the year. He's, you know, two wins, two losses, uh, a couple of couple of eyebrow raising losses, to be honest. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very interesting eighth above Novak, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, there's it's whoever I don't know. It's there's arguments to be made for all three coming through. Um, but yeah, we all have Novak advancing, I believe. Um, so let's transition into Dal now. Rafa, before we get into the draw, I mean, storylines with Nadal, and and we actually did cover this last week, so we can kind of recap quickly if anybody missed the last episode. Um, I think that... I think that we talked about his serve, and Amy, you noticed that it was kind of... It was down in his first two matches of 2023 at the United Cup. But overall, there were other positives to take with his level. I I think what I want to bring up now is he comes in 0-2 after a bad second half to 2022. Another kind of psychological question posed to you, Joel. I mean, what, what does that do to Nadal coming in? The fact that there's no momentum here. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well... I think the, uh, you know, there are ways he can always look at it like, well, the last half, last part of 2022, he was busy with a lot of other things going on in his life. And it's the end of the year. And now a new year starts and the year starts with this uh, a competition that's not exactly a tournament. So it's not quite the same as losing in the first round of two tournaments. However, if he'd won matches there, that would make him feel more positive. And so then I think you can engage in yet another form of tennis player logic, which is, all right, here it is. New start, play the next match. Just forget that stuff. Doesn't matter. 
and I'm the defending champ and I'm going to play this guy. And I don't even actually, I don't think Nadal even thinks I'm the defending champ. He just thinks, okay, I'm playing a tennis match tomorrow. I'm playing this left-hander Draper. That's it. That's my whole focus. And I think Nadal is about as laser focused as anyone who's ever played this sport. So I think that's all he's going to just put in his head right now and forget all that other stuff that the external stuff that we all notice the trends, the directions, the momentum, and just concentrate on this guy, a formidable left-handed opponent. Yeah. He's such a great problem solver and has been in this situation so many times. I did this, I always bring this up, but I did like a little mini study, um, how his clay court run up all those tournaments in the clay court season. Did he have a bad clay court run up? Did he run the table where he won everything? Was he injured? It really didn't matter as to whether or impact as to whether he won Roland Garros that year. He has limped in to grand slams so many times only to come out with the grand slam trophy. So um, he's not superstitious, He's not like, oh, I need to recreate the magic of last year. I agree with Joel. He'll go in. He'll say, this is the person in front of me. Boy, do I love competing and playing tennis matches. Here I go with my routines, Ah, you know, and and everything else. Here I go. The one thing I I really, other than the serve, which I want to really look closely and see what he's doing with it. I'm really interested in his return position, as always, um, when he's away from clay. Is he going to mix it up? Is he going to stand back? Does it depend on the opponent? Um, but I, I really do think he'll be okay and that the two losses um, are not going to impact him that heavily going into the tournament. See, I think the only th- the thing in tennis, that and Nadal is better than this, I think, than anyone, it's the attitudinal part. Like Amy, the problem solving, the attitudinal part, that's fine. And it appears, at least even through those losses last week, that the physical part is pretty okay. I, well, no, actually, I'm wrong. You talked about it, Gil. You talked about his serving, right? And so you wondered well, if the ab was lingering. If the ab is lingering, if there's a physical part, because that's something you can't control. The attitudinal part, you can control. The attitude can be controlled. Right. So you can discard past losses, which mean nothing, past wins, which mean nothing past anything, which means I think physical hindrance. Now we're getting into some potential concerns. Well, for me, item number one for Nadal is the serve. We all agree. He he just, it's an important shot for him and it hasn't been good. Uh, but item number two is the match toughness, uh, which I know with Nadal is, is always kind of an assumed strength. Uh, but I don't think the 0-2 factor or the fact that he's he's lost a lot of his recent matches, I don't think that comes into play until it's 5-all deuce, he's serving, it's the fourth set. Uh, I, I And that's kind of where I think we have seen Nadal, uh, Nadal's recent form play a factor. Like last year, he was so incredibly match tough. He pulled off Houdini act after Houdini act after Houdini act um, in terms of escaping from every tight situation. And I just, I don't know. I I feel like the lead up might hinder him in his attempts to just play his very best offensive, brave tennis in the really, really tight moments. So after the serve, that would be my, my number two concern for Nadal coming in. 
but I'm not I, I have a the... I have a concern about his confidence. Um, he's a human being, and and when I say confidence, I mean just like super super zoomed out the meaning of life, because he said goodbye to Roger Federer. And that had to have affected him as a human being. Seeing his close friend and rival's career come to an end and being so intimately involved in that goodbye. And uh, that had to have affected him. I mean, he knows it's coming for him. And also having a child is, is a big deal. And, and there was a picture of the baby with Rafa holding the baby. It's so cute and sweet. Um, but these big life changes um, may have, in the latter part of the season, kind of shaken him a little bit. And so I want to see that really focused competitor back um in rafa can we talk about the draw Gil? Yeah, yeah. because let's go to it we've got i i'm just so bummed like i didn't want rafa to play medvedev in the quarterfinals but he's got medvedev and he's got tiafo in his quarter who he lost to at the u.s open well yeah, but, but let's not we're, we're, yeah uh, i know i know you, you guys like to talk micro because we're going to be doing more shows i but i i do like to look at quarters like no, who's but, in uh, the quarter I agree, but I like to look at it too. But I think that's more important for like Novak, who we don't see losing to Roberto Carbias Baena. Nadal has yeah. Jack Draper in front of him. It's a top 30 player right now. Yeah. Uh, and and that's not, not in the rankings, by the way. He's unseated. But I think in reality, Jack Draper after that offseason, a young player who keeps getting better and better, probably a top 30 player. This is different from the U.S. Open where Nadal was was injured and then he lost to Borna Chorich. And anybody who remembers what what I said, and, and you guys might have said it as well. Look, Nadal can work his way into form. He plays Rinky Hijikata in the first round. He He's not going to lose, even if he is at 70%. This is not Rinky Hijikata. Uh, this is Jack Draper. So this this is not ideal for, for Rafa situationally. Well, from, from a Rafa fan standpoint, it's not ideal. It's concerning because it's like, wow, he this is going to be a tough start. And I remember I was looking at... Uh, uh, two of his toughest matches were against uh, his fellow lefty Verdasco, who beat him in the first round here in 2016. And then they had a great semi in 09. And so then Rafa, a tough, a, a tough player who's also a lefty. So that that's a little problem solving for Rafa too. It's like another layer of problem solving from the external view, from the fan view, from the, I want Rafa to go further view from the Rafa view. Yeah. This is where his, his mental power, and if it's a superpower, it's going to need to be applied a lot, is, okay, here I am. I'm in Elburn Park. I have the same probably, I can I can only imagine the ritual he has in preparing, eating, walking, practice, all the little steps around these terms. And these tournaments, these tournaments, I, I, can't, I can't do enough to take people inside what this tournament world is like, this kind of bubble that each of these tournaments is like, that in its own odd way is kind of a world-class version of a junior tournament. It's just inside the tennis bubble. And there, and, and Rafa Nadal is going to put himself into that with his team. And it's going to like, my only thing I need to do today is prepare to play a tennis match. And you're right. And then, and then do it that way. And all the other stuff. So I remember Pete Sampras used the word to me once. He says, oh, yeah, you guys, you have your, uh, that's all commentary. And that's what we do, but it's kind of, uh, I think from the Dow standpoint, he would, like, if someone asked Rafa, do you think it's ideal that you're playing a guy who's playing as well? You know what he would say. 
He said, I just got to play this guy. Right. Right. Well, uh, Brandon Nakashima, by the way, tactically, I, I do want to say, I, I think Nadal forehand to forehand has a really big edge right now over Draper. And I expect that dynamic to play out. And, and to your point, Joel, about mentally preparing, look, I've been really impressed with, with Jack's ability to play his best in the biggest matches of his life thus far. First time I ever saw him was against Djokovic in the first round at the All England Club. And, and Joel, he, he opened up center court. Like, doesn't that have a feel to it? That has a big feel to it. You're a young British kid who's playing the first match center court Wimbledon against Djokovic. He won the first set. Um, and then, you know, in, in Canada, he beat Tsitsipas. At the U.S. Open, he beat Felix. Like, he is not afraid of big matches. However, best of five, Nadal, uh, there should be an intangible kind of advantage that Nadal has against a young player. Of course he does. At Rod Laver Arena. Of course Arena. he does. Sending champ and then, and then, and then, and Draper, who's playing top 30 tennis, it's like, good, let's hope this is the last slam I'm, I'm not seated. And I don't have to enter into what we, I'll call it the, uh, the struff zone of being somewhere yeah. between 35 and 50 ranked and you're never quite seated, but you're a dangerous floater. So hopefully Draper, because in a way it's, we talk, you think it's bad luck for, for Nadal. It's worse luck for Draper. Draper is, you know, Draper's a guy who's playing good tennis and wouldn't have minded. Could I not have a seed please? So I could kind of get a little traction at this first major of the year, but so it goes. Just from a tactical standpoint, if I were Nadal, I would look to come in because his volley skills are top notch in this field and um, he'll be coming up against baseliners that don't know what to do with that. So it would have the effect of shortening points. And it also, because the volley stroke is just more compact, it may not be as tough on the ab. So that would be my strategy against some of these guys. Um. Last point on Draper is he's he's playing Auckland this week. It's something to keep an eye on. I don't I don't really think it's awesome. Like if he were to make the final and win Auckland, I, I think that's or even losing the final of Auckland, it's it's a turnaround. And I think there's an advantage of just being in Melbourne uh, right now. Yeah, but others, I know, but again, I think at the face of a player's career, I mean certainly certainly we'd be concerned about that if it was Nadal and you look at you, Nadal was playing Auckland and then you're getting to Melbourne. But I think for a guy like Draper, it's a it's a it's a great ride through ascent, and yep. and and, it, and it's capped off with a stirring four set loss to Nadal on RLA. Good onward. Well, uh, yeah, but you don't want to think that way. Oh no, no, but um, I just mean I just mean it's like he's young, and this is what you do when you're in that play. You you do get on. Yeah, can I can that. I clarify? Can I clarify what I said? If if Draper wins Auckland. That's great for his career. Yes. And it's, 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 it's great. I'm saying it might be bad for the Nadal match. So let me be very clear. If I were Draper, I would, and I, I think Osaka used to do this, Naomi Osaka. If I were Draper, I would say to everybody around me, don't tell me about the Australian Open draw and try to shut my ears off while I'm trying to win this tournament. Because 
it would be so easy just to look ahead and say, oh, shoot, I drew Rafa in the first round and then to just take your eyes off. And and he could use the money. He could use the endorsements. A- anyone who's able to win a tournament should try to do it, especially in his position. Yeah, I, I agreed. But there's no way that Draper has been able to avoid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Saka used to do it. Yeah, she but... used to like shut off her phone and... Yeah, when right. there was a grand slam and okay. yeah. All right. I I you know, but you would have to shut off your phone. I mean that that would be the And tell everyone around you. And as Joel said, these people live in a bubble. It's like a traveling carnival. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. It, you, you can't go on Instagram. You can't do anything right. or you're going to find out. Okay. It's even more of it's a bubble now with more input. It used to be even more of a bubble when there weren't as much, you know, phones and social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nakashima potentially in the second round, great backhand. And, uh, he also might be top 30. You're just automatically just, what about my, my, Mackie McDonald's who, yeah, Yeah, Mackie, Mackie could win. Mackie's an underdog in that match. He's an underdog in that match, but that's a very stylistically similar kind of match. These are like, again, Novak cut like players with fine backhands and flat strokes. So yeah, I I get it. Nakashima is the favorite, but that's, uh, Okay. So either that person Nadal, I think a Draper's a tougher opponent for Nadal than than Nakashima. Either way, Rafa has a tough draw. I mean, considering these first round matches and then Tiafo and Medvedev, this is a tough quarter. Oh, don't forget Hatchinov, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hatchinov's lost twenty two straight matches against top ten opponents. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, but I that- mean- Okay, but I'm talking. Yeah, well, I think also another way else is look at the Rafa. Wow, that's an incredible nugget. Um, Ashnoff <laughs> yeah. would play um, Tiafo in the in the third round, and then you look at the wear and tear of each on on the other. Yeah, it's it's intriguing. Yeah, uh, all all I say that is to say that I think Nadal would much rather see Karen uh, versus Francis in the fourth round. Um, Francis is playing well. He is. He is. Uh, and then in the in the bottom eighth, Amy, you've mentioned Medvedev, that mm-hmm. you know needs no introduction. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting kind of head to head thing, and this is the beautiful thing about draws, Medvedev could have Hubie, and Hubie, Hubie destroys Daniil because of the net rushing. I mean, I feel like my take on Hercotch is that he is a thoroughly average baseliner and an absolutely phenomenal net player, and it's just about which style he's playing and when he plays against Medvedev it just he plays right he gets to net uh so uh, I mean what's the head-to-head there Gil do you know yeah let me let me pull it up I know it's favorable for for Hercotch it'll only take me a moment yeah because he knows he has no choice he needs to do the he needs to get his butt to net I mean he should do that more that's the UB game I mean he he's yeah he's a terrific forward moving player and uh yeah that's what makes matchups so uh so intriguing. Uh, Medvedev, yeah, very interesting. It's 3-2 Hercotch, and the two times Medvedev has won, it was a third set tiebreak and 6-4 in the third. Medvedev killed him in Hala on the grass uh, last year. Oh, sorry, Hercotch. Hercotch killed him in Hala. Hercotch won in straight sets in Miami last year. Medvedev was not in a good place during Miami. Uh, but then Wimbledon last year, uh, over I think over the course of two days, if I remember correctly, 
Hercotch beat Medvedev on the grass. So all three matchups are, you know, recent. Uh, sorry, all five matchups are recent, and it's 3-2 Hercotch. Two, on, two of the wins on grass. Yes. Two of the wins on grass, right, which mm-hmm. is very uh, Hercotch-friendly and very Medvedev-unfriendly. And uh, uh, I'm not saying this on behalf of Medvedev, it's also just so we know it. So I guess one of the, the key factors here will be to see how fast this uh, Melbourne Park courts are playing. Mm-hmm. You know, cause yeah. if they're, if they're faster, that can aid QB, but that's, uh, that's a fun matchup. I think that's a neat matchup because of the contrast. What I've heard is the balls are fast. So uh, we'll see fast, about the courts, but I've heard the balls are fast. Because... I'll start texting my contacts in Melbourne and ask about the surface and, and yeah. see how it's playing. I'll have that for our next time. Excellent. And- to, to clarify, they've been playing with the Australian Open balls throughout the entire swing, and they were practicing with them. So it's not you don't need to go to Melbourne to to find that out. Um, but yeah, we'll see about the courts. It's the Dunlop ball, right? Yes, it's the Dunlop Australian Open ball, uh, which may have been updated for 2023. And I've I've heard multiple people say this is a really this ball's light and quick. That's been true with the Dunlop ball for a while. I mean, the Dunlop ball, I've, I've noticed this. I've played with it. Um, I forget if we used it once, Gil, when we played. but we it did, has a, and then we switched to Wilson. Yeah, the Dunlop <laughs> ball has a pellet-like quality to it. It's not fuzzy. It's like a bullet, right? Yeah, it's not warm and fuzzy. It, <laughs> I like balls like that. I mean, I just played this morning, and I was picking balls, which I shouldn't do, and I was noticing, like, wow, some of these balls are really fuzzy, and some of them are like like a pellet, and I prefer those. That's the that's the big big serving Amy talking. <laughs> uh, it, it should be mentioned in this conversation. Hubie hasn't been past uh, the third round of a hardcourt major, so um, that's going to be a mental hurdle for him. And you also have Chapo in there, and you have Corda. The bottom eighth, like we can make a lot of Nadal's difficult first two rounds, and I think a lot should be made of that. And Foe, uh potentially in the fourth round, who beat him at the U.S. Open. One of the most competitive and exciting eighths in the tournament, I think, is the bottom eighth in Nadal's quarter. And remember, you know, I mean, Rafa can only play one of those guys, so it doesn't actually matter that much for Nadal. Yeah, but they'll in, kill each other. Exactly. But in general, that's very intriguing to me. I mean, Korda Medvedev, Shapo against Hercotch, like lots of really interesting head-to-heads. Agreed. Oh, okay, right. So this would be the potential Nadal quarterfinal. Quarter. Right. That's an interesting place. Yeah, I'm interested to see how well um, uh, Korda does. I mean, Korda Medvedev as a possible third-round match. That, very interesting. It's going to be fun. Draper, Nadal, fireworks right off the start. Carbias, Baena, Djokovic feels like a match where we're mostly just watching Novak's hamstring, and that's going to be the main focus. And uh, we can't wait to uh, experience those and then talk to you at some point thereafter. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.